Welcome to Where We Land, a podcast that explores the relationship between Christ, culture, and the church. Hey, uh, my name is Aaron Mansfield, and today I'm joined here in the studio again with our co-host, Stephen Vaughn. Hello, everyone. And Morgan McClure. What's up, guys? And my name is Aaron Mansfield, and we're glad to be with you today as we're really kind of continuing a mini-series talking about prayer in the early church. So we hope you join us today and stick around for the whole episode to come. So uh, this is kind of a new thing for us guys. We're recording a ton during one week, right? Yeah, normally we that. Yeah. normally we space it out, but this week we're recording. I think like three or four episodes all back to back to back, and so it feels like a cram session, like. Back in college, that exam, I would like push to the end, so I just had to cram and, and all at like, once. Re, you know, prepping your notes right before. And uh-huh. yeah, we're the, spending the a lot panic, of time but, with each other, though, this week. Which is <laughs> good. But it's good because it's, it's getting us uh, episodes to have laid out further in advance. Uh, so I don't actually know when people will actually hear this one. It might be a few weeks down the road. Yeah. But so, like, we just saw each other yesterday. So, like, was there any big, like, happenings since yesterday in your life? What did you guys life? do last night? Uh, <laughs> I, I went out with uh, Stephen's wife, Emily. She's, She's pretty awesome. great. Yeah. So we had dinner what'd together. You, what'd you do? We went to this cool place downtown. Uh, it's called the 202 Social House. It's like really nice. I've never nice. been there. Okay, yeah. I can vouch for 202. Like... It's a very non-Roanoke restaurant. Like it, it felt like it shouldn't be in Roanoke. It just yeah. it, but it. I don't know. I like it. Like, I, I like it a lot. For any of what our did list, you get? Like what was the kind of food? Fish and chips. Oh my gosh! They oh. have like burgers. Is that but they that also have seafood? Flatbread. Is that that new seafood place it's not downtown? Seafood. That... They have like they. It's kind of like Italian. Americano Italian sort of blend, but mm. their stuff is so good. Yeah, and if you're not from Roanoke, you need to understand too. Like Roanoke has like a weird restaurant scene, and so like when we say it's eclectic. not very Roanoke, it means like it's a little bit more like upscale than like Roanoke. Like it seems like something that would be more in like a Raleigh or DC yeah. vibe. And um, it, it's but really great food. It. It's I great feel like food. Roanoke's trying to make strides though in that direction. But you it know? is, you know, it's. I feel like it's one of those up and coming cities now, kind of like Lynchburg was. Mm-hmm. And then you got the boom of all the Liberty students in Rad, not Radford, Randolph College, and all those other right. ones. But they try, they try. They re- Roanoke really does try, but yeah. like they shouldn't have built the mall in front of the airport because now the airport can't grow and if your airport can't grow you can't sustain business Ooh, and Steven so, the city like, planner yeah, I know. <laughs> if you go around Roanoke you'll see like terrible planning but anyway <laughs> anyway it's a great city we love yeah, our city it's, it's cool. a great city super cool but you um, had a good night yeah it was super great yeah we just you know I, I love your wife because she's so good at like encouraging me but also challenging me like yeah. we have the best conversations she's good because she calls you out but it's not in like a way where you like hate each other after. No, it's like you totally in love. It, but she's like, hey, look, here's where you're she's just, just absolutely so wrong. She's just so sincerely honest. And I think that's yes. what I appreciate yeah. about Emily. She's so just, we're your fan club, Emily. Yeah. Lady <laughs> Emily, shout out to Emily. Uh, what, did so, you, what did you do last night, Stephen? Well, so we had an interesting night. So um, Enoch um, from VCY, he's here filming our podcast this week. He and I and um, another guy, Andrew, we were going to go out for dinner. And so we hopped in the vehicle and we're like racing down the hill. But I had forgotten to look at my phone and my wife had made us dinner. And so it was kind of awkward because we got like halfway into the city and she's like, hey, dinner's on the stove. And I was like, oof. And so (laughs) we turned around and went home and ate dinner. And then we went out and bought ice cream at Kroger. 
Nice. And did an ice cream run and it was a clutch cream run. Yeah. And uh, <laughs> we came back and then we watched a movie and hung out. So our evening was kind of like weird. We were like, I was in a weird mood last night. Um, like you can ask me <laughs> later. Form. Like I was just in a weird mood. I wanted to like leave, but I didn't know where I wanted to go. And so I was just like feeling very awkward. Just so stir crazy. Yeah, I got like really stir. Because, you know, like when you prepare to go somewhere, but then yeah. you don't get to go there. It just like leaves you like. Uh, it is so, it's such a letdown. It, it was kind of weird. So, but we had a great night. So anyway, what did you do, Aaron? I was a homebody last night. So I just, you know, enjoyed being home and uh, spent time with Jessica and Ashlyn. And I mean, that sounds like it was a great, great night. night. We went to bed night. early. I went to bed at like nine o'clock last night. <laughs> like Ashlyn's starting to go to bed at like eight o'clock now. And now when like we lay her down for bed, it's like, yep, bedtime. bedtime. <laughs> Catching up on the <laughs> so, sleep you lost so, back when she wouldn't e- let you sleep. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> and she's getting in that stage where she's like not sleeping as great right now as she had been. So it's like we go to bed early because mm-hmm. we can guarantee to get a few hours. So. <laughs> So get the sleep while the getting yeah, is good. Yeah, I didn't have as much of an eventful night as you guys did, but it's good to be back in the studio this morning. Yeah. It's good to uh, be continuing our conversation on prayer in the early church. So when we think about that, um, you know, I, I wonder how, how could we think about, you know, we th- we're going to talk about prayer and Pentecost. And I think when, you know, a lot of people talk about prayer or hear prayer, they're probably very familiar with the prayer meeting. Yes. Right? Yes. The prayer meeting. The prayer meeting. We're not talking about just like a prayer meeting. We're talking about the prayer meeting. So in, especially in Southern culture, and this can be something that some, some of our listeners who might not have grown up in a church like ours or in our culture like ours, you might not relate with that. But I think a majority of people who listen to this, who have grown up in church would at least relate in some manner to the concept of a prayer meeting. And especially in like Southern Christian Americana, they generally have a midweek service or a Sunday night service that they call the prayer meeting. Traditionally, traditionally a a Wednesday night or Sunday night. Yeah. It was a prayer meeting night. And it's, my question is like, have, have you, Which all, you don't see very many to one right now? I'm just letting you know. I mean, there's... Well, that should tell us something. Yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> but like, have you all been to one like yeah. that? Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. So like, my question is like, you bring up a good point, Aaron, you don't see many anymore. And so like, why is that? Why is it that we don't see prayer meetings anymore if prayer is actually supposed to be a central part of worship? I think it goes back to what we were talking about earlier on the podcast on the last episode and talking about how we are in a day where I think the tendency is to add so many other superfluous things to the Christian life in an effort to somehow think that those things are, are really what's going to solve or resolve, you know, things in our life. And, and we've, we've kind of, um, I, I would say big broad brush kind of statement. The church seems to have abandoned a lot of the essential things in the Christian life in an effort to try and achieve other things. Yeah. I, 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 what do you think, Morgan? I mean, yeah, I think, uh, I mean, I'll just give a really simple answer. I think the church is too busy for prayer these days, mm-hmm. and it kind of just bounces off what Aaron's saying. Aaron. Aaron. <laughs> came Aaron. Out really strange. Aaron. Aaron. Um, but it does. Like, I feel like we're just too rushed. We're too busy. We're too distracted to take time and sit and do, like, a legitimate prayer meeting, not where we're just having one more thing to do. You yeah. Know? You know, I, there was a couple quotes and I think about, you know, men who preached in an earlier generation, one Charles Spurgeon, he used to, he oh, said this, best. he said, we shall never see much change for the better in our church. 
in general till the prayer meeting occupies a higher place in the esteem of Christians. And then it was Leonard Ravenhill that said, Sunday morning shows how popular the church is. Sunday night shows how popular the preacher is. <laughs> and prayer meetings show how popular God is. And I think mm. I think what Ravenhill was getting at was the fact that you know, oftentimes uh, people come to church for a litany of reasons that sometimes are are not the primary reason, mm-hmm. and and coming uh, to a prayer meeting, you know, and I think we probably have seen, and I know I have experienced in my life. Um, it, it seems as if you know prayer simply is a, a precursor to a service or an mm-hmm. end of a service. And, and even when you think about just the what's happening in those prayer meetings, you know, I think it seems to me many times people have experienced kind of a dead prayer meeting or a, a lifeless prayer meeting. And Yeah, um, I think the ones that are still around generally could be defined by empty and dead. Well, and, and I think the problem is we have gone so in this effort of, of being pragmatic that we've lost uh, the, just the emphasis of what we're coming to mm-hmm. do. Like mm-hmm. I found an, an article on the gospel coalition that talked about seven reasons prayer meetings fail. And when, when I read it, I was just like, it just seems so misguided. Like it, it I mean, I understand where it's coming from and, and, and what it's trying to, you know, show accomplish, and yeah. accomplish, but it just seems so misguided. Like these were the seven reasons that they gave in the article for why prayer meetings fail. Uh, number one, we hardly take time to pray. Second, the individual prayers are too long. Three, too few people participate. Four, no one has prepared to lead. Five, there is no variety in prayer. Six, we don't stick to one allotted time. Seven, we forget that we are praying. And I'm like, I read that and I'm like, okay, I just, it just seems like it missed the point. Like why it are did. prayer meetings fail? I think one thing that seems why prayer meetings fail is there's a lack of faith. Yeah. yeah. I mean, when I hear those reasons, I hear reasons why we're not having an exciting, like want to attend event. Like it's not just an event. Like you're the point of prayer is not to have like an enthralling experience where you're going to yeah. draw a huge crowd. Like the point of prayer is to get alone and get focused with God and to commune together in his presence i don't know i just think yeah. if we're more concerned on how long a prayer meeting went or who was praying or the variety or of the style of prayer. of prayer yeah like i think you're missing the point you're yeah. missing the point yeah because i hear what, what the he's prayer saying. meeting is there for i hear what he's saying but it's like i feel like it's a, i feel like the best term to describe that would be like misguided because like i do hear what he's saying and there is like there's some things without what he says like okay like sure like i hear what you're saying but at the same time that's not he's making like sub message the main message the main message is that um prayer the reason prayer meetings are empty most oftentimes is because i believe we've lost the power of prayer we don't understand the power of prayer i mean think about the last prayer meeting you were in and maybe your your church is different or maybe the one you went to is different which if it is i mean amen keep going at it, keep praying. Right. Mm. But a lot of prayer meetings, if you go to them, they're, they're basically laundry lists of needs in our lives. And so we, we sit there and we go, Hey, uh, let's, uh, what do we need to pray for tonight? (laughs) And it's like, okay, wait, what? And then like, everybody just shares their top five needs. And then we pray for the needs and we're done. And it's like, wait a second. But do we really meet with God? Let's look yeah. back at what Jesus yeah. and how Jesus prayed. And what did he do? He communed with the father. Now, did sure. he ask for things? Sure. But the whole point of Jesus praying was communion and renewal. Yeah. There's. And, go ahead, Morgan. Yeah. Well, I was just going to point back to you, the lack of faith 
thing is huge. And why do we lack faith in our prayers? I think it's because we also have a lack of knowledge and understanding of the character of God and his promises that he's already given that we don't need to ask for. But how do we ask for the fulfillment of those things in faith? Well, and I think if there is faith in the prayer meeting, the prayer meeting will be alive Mm -hmm. and it won't be dead. It won't be lifeless because there's a true understanding of who we are coming before, uh, the God of the universe. And and there's a true understanding of his power that can be uh, at work in our life through the indwelling Holy Spirit. You know, Jesus told his disciples, when the Son of Man returns, will he find faith on the earth? And that's a question because it's like, I think Jesus is really, you know, cutting to the heart of of the crux of he won't find much faith. You know, there's this, there's so many passages of scripture that link faith and prayer together. Mm-hmm. Uh, in Hebrews 11, verse 6, um, the Bible says in Hebrews 11, listen to what the Bible says here in verse 6. And without faith, it is impossible to please him for whoever would draw near to God, right? Talking about prayer, must believe that he exists and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. And then there's mm-hmm. other places. Uh, just go back one chapter in Hebrews 10 and look at verse 22. Hebrews 10, 22. Listen, uh, listen to what the writer of Hebrews here says again. He says, let us draw near with true heart and full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure Water, And then I even look at Mark 11, where Jesus is there um, talking uh, with his disciples. And we see we see here in Mark 11, uh, verse 22 through verse 24. Just look at some of these verses that Jesus is saying. Jesus told him to have faith in God. Truly, I say unto you, whoever says to this mountain, be taken up and thrown into the sea and does not doubt in his heart but believes what he says will come to pass. It will be done for him. Therefore, I tell you, whoever, whatever Jesus says, therefore, I tell you in verse 24, whatever you ask in prayer, believe that you have received it and it will be yours. And so I just like, that's just a sampling of verses, Mm -hmm. but so much of the New Testament links faith in God in our prayer because because you were talking about, you know, we've lost the power of prayer. I don't know if we've necessarily lost the power of prayer if Christians have the indwelling spirit of God, because that's what we're going to look at today, as much as they have lost the understanding of who they have indwelling in them. Which is a fair point. I would push back a little bit because the only reason I said they lost the power of prayer is because they are not focusing on the one who is indwelling them. It's not like they've lost it and they can't get it back. Right. That's what I'm saying. It's meaning that they've lost their way. Really and I believe that, I believe the reason that we don't have faith in the prayer meeting is because we haven't seen the power of prayer in the prayer meeting, which who is it? It's, I believe we're going to look at it today, but I believe it's wrapped up in the person of the Holy Spirit. You know, yeah. in our previous episodes, we've been looking at the people of prayer and we were talking about the person of Christ a lot and how the person of Christ has really made possible this communion with the father. Right. But the person of the Holy Spirit is just as important but he's often forgotten. We talk so much about Jesus and what he's done for us. Amen. You know, we talk yeah. so much about praying to the Father. Amen. But what about the Holy Spirit who lives literally inside I, of you and indwells and in I you? And I hear that. And I think yeah. the reason for that is there's just such a misguided understanding about the filling of the Spirit of God and then what it means to walk in the spirit i i think yeah. i think that has not been so clearly taught in churches or in lived. the understanding of him as 
or you know, I'd say him, but no, as it a, is. yeah, as You're a right. as a person of the Trinity, a person, not just some like force or like matter out there. I know we're probably going to get into that deeper in the episode, we but will. have no fear. <laughs> <laughs> but that's just, I mean, that's that's been absent. Excuse me. You know, just I think in our, especially in Southern Christian tradition, for some mm. reason as a whole, like we're just right. missing a lot of that teaching and understanding. Yes. So let's kind of go back now talking about the promise of the spirit of mm-hmm. God, right? Cause we mm-hmm. want to begin, we've been, we're talking about the book of Acts. So let's read uh, verse eight uh, out of chapter one, Stephen, you want to yeah, read that Acts for 1, us? Eight. It says, but you will receive power when the Holy spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And uh, this is, we're picking up actually from the same chapter we were in, uh, in the episode on the people of prayer. Mm-hmm. And we're discussing, um, we're discussing this idea of the promise of the spirit. The fact that Jesus, the son of God promised that the Holy spirit would come. Right. Um, and I think it's really important because yesterday we looked at it, that he promised them. And then the disciples went back to the upper room. They started praying. Right. And like they, they stayed with one another. They were unified. And we talked about all these things that they did to Mm -hmm. pray, just like Jesus had taught them as they waited on the spirit. But this isn't the only passage that Jesus promised the Holy Spirit, right? Um, in my in my mind, I think of two other specific ones. I think of John fourteen mm-hmm. and um, John fifteen, and I think of John fourteen twenty six, uh, where it says, "But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, He will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you." I mean, like, which is whoa. quite amazing whoa. when you think about <laughs> yeah. the promise that Jesus promise. is giving there. And, you know, and, and Jesus goes on to say, actually, in the very next chapter, that when the helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the spirit of truth who's, who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me. And so what you have taking place between the Gospels and the book of Acts is, is seeing how Jesus, uh, in his life, in his message, by his example, uh, showed us the, the importance of prayer. Uh, through the anointing of the Spirit of God, and that now what has been given uh, to his disciples. You know, we talked about it yesterday, and as I thought about it, I was like, you know, I don't know how clear we really were on some of those things. And I think I want to go back to what we were referencing yesterday and talk about how God anointed Jesus with the Holy Spirit mm-hmm. and power. Um, Peter picks up on that in in Acts 10. And so when Acts is actually talking to Cornelius about this good news, he says in chapter 10, verse 37, he says, You yourselves know what happened throughout all Judea, beginning from Galilee, after the baptism that John proclaimed. How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. And he went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. And so, I mean, I think that often gets lost in our uh, conversations about um, who Jesus was. That once again, God anointed Jesus with the Spirit of, with the Holy Spirit and with power. And you see that at Jesus's baptism, the Spirit of God descends upon him. And that then in every major facet of Jesus's life, specifically within his public ministry, you just watch, read the Gospels, and you'll see the Holy Spirit at work in those moments. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I love a quote by, um, J.D. Greer, says, the Holy Spirit of God in you 
is better than Jesus walking beside you. Which which is I mean, think incredible. about that for a second. Yeah. But Jesus literally says it all the time but throughout I, the gospels. But I would say that's probably not what most people would say no, that. I mean, most like, people probably, say that. when yeah. they think about it they're like, "Oh man, I just wish just Jesus was here." Oh, I know. I have wished that multiple times. Right. Like, you know, you're you're just like, "Man, it would just be so much easier if Jesus was standing right beside me. He could answer my questions, you know, we could just have a conversation." But we have the Holy Spirit inside of us, mm-hmm. which the majority of when you look, you look at the Old Testament, they never experienced that. No. They had, you know, the presence of God was with them, but like inside of them, that just how many people like I'm sure in the great cloud of witnesses mm-hmm. that I we've referenced probably before on this podcast are looking at us and saying, oh, my goodness, do you not realize what you have? What are you doing? <laughs> <laughs> Wake up. <laughs> well, it's it's just so profound what Jesus is teaching there, because um, what happens in the book of Acts early uh, in chapter two, specifically on the day of Pentecost, you know, uh, when Jesus there in actually in chapter one, remember what he says there, he says, you will receive power, mm-hmm. not you might or you could, but you will receive power when something happens, when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses and 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 notice the power precedes being a witness for Christ and they go then in verse um i think it's in verse uh in verse 10 uh Jesus went up into heaven and uh oh there it is verse 14 um, and notice what happened after that, verse 12, they returned to Jerusalem from the Mount called Olivet, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day's journey away. And when they had entered, they went to the upper room where they were staying, where we were talking about yesterday, the disciples and also uh, some of the women in verse 14. And all of these with one accord were devoted, were devoting themselves to prayer together with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus and his brothers. So, there was something happening there in the upper room as they were devoting themselves to prayer that is directly tied, I believe, to the day of Pentecost. What do y'all oh, think? Oh, definitely. Mm-hmm. I think you can make a definitive statement that prayer was specifically connected to the event and the day of Pentecost and what the Holy Spirit, with the Holy Spirit coming and indwelling and the promise being fulfilled. I believe prayer was specifically connected. What do you think, Morgan? Oh, yeah, 100%. I mean, especially, you know, since Jesus told them to go and wait, I'm sure they didn't think, okay, we're just going to go sit and wait. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's not like, hey, we're going to go check out Netflix. To, like, we talked about you. No, I mean, yeah, like, <laughs> I, I'm just saying, or go fishing. Like, uh-huh. this was important. And like, so they had to wait with this expectancy. So yeah. what else would they do but pray for the Holy yeah. Spirit and I to think, come? I think you see faith in that. And we talked oh, about yesterday sure. that yeah. it wasn't just like an overnight thing. It was no, give or like take in days? like around 10 days area. Like right. it was multiple, multiple days on top of one another that they're doing this. But so they had faith in what Jesus had promised. Exactly. Them. Exactly. Mm-hmm. And they were believing for what Jesus had promised. And so, so they're there in the upper room praying, believing in faith in this way. And like you said, Stephen, after these 10 days, what happens then? On the day of Pentecost, the promise is fulfilled. Yeah. You know? yeah. I mean, Jesus said, Hey, you, the Holy Spirit will come. Be ready. And guess what? He does. Um, he does. In Acts 2, you pick up on it, and it, it says there in Acts 2, verse 1, when the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And then in verse three, it talks about how there was tongues of fire on their head. Like what in the world does that even look like? (laughs) And then verse four, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Guess what? The Spirit's here. 
the spirit came and is inside of them. It's filling them. And I think you have the evidences of that by you see this mighty rushing wind. You see the flames on their head, the tongues that they speak in. Uh, and not only that, you, like you're referencing the souls being saved, mm-hmm. lives changed. Oh, there were so- the miraculous things that were mm-hmm. happening through that. Those oh, yeah. were all evidences that the spirit of God had come. Yeah, there, there was so much more happening there. I mean, if you continue reading the story in Acts 2, and it's a long chapter. That's why we're mm-hmm. not going to read every verse <laughs> of the chapter. Which but we if, encourage you to go read it. Exactly. Go read Acts 2. Because if, if you read it, you're going to see natural things like a mighty rushing wind. And they were, by the way, we need to think about this. They were indoors here, right? Mm-hmm. So even if there was openings for windows and stuff, it's still interesting that there is a mighty rushing wind inside. inside okay. So like I get like some of the stories are like, you know, well, they had an open window because fair enough. There was a mighty rushing this wind. Was not an, a breeze. It wasn't just a breeze. It was a <laughs> mighty rushing wind. Okay. So there's natural things going on. There's flames, tongues of fire on their head, which is like a I think it's, I mean, like, I don't know how to picture that except like a flame on top of somebody's head, like a little yeah. candle flame. <laughs> like, what is going on? And then and they're speaking in different, they're speaking languages. different languages. Like, what is happening? The world, and it's not just the fact that they're speaking in different languages and they don't understand what each mm-hmm. other's saying. People outside heard their own language being spoken. And these people um, were all from all over the place. So it's just, yeah. it's crazy. Thousand. Which ask a question about tongues. I oh, think this uh, is oh, I mean, I just oh, ask Pandora it. box. <laughs> well, I guess we'll open it. Uh, <laughs> just no, take a peek. <laughs> but, but was this a known language or was this an unknown language? Oh, it was definitely known. Was if known. you read it, it was known because it literally tells you the different nationalities and different tongues that were being that. spoken. I would yeah. agree with that. And I think if you read Acts 2, and says, I encourage you to do that, because oftentimes when we hear the speaking of tongues today, it's in an, an audible language. Uh, or like an, it's a, a not an, an it's a secret language sure like between unknown, you and the and lord but but when but you look in the book here, of acts tongues was a known spoken language i mean yeah. they says, were speaking yeah. peter was speaking in his language but the bible says that there were many others uh who were there uh in verse nine uh, parthians medes uh many people uh from pontus and asia and all of these people uh, we're in, in verse, verse 11. Seven, yeah, verse 7. Says, Read that. Look, aren't all these who are speaking Galileans? How right. is it then that each of us can hear them in our own native language? Right. So I would argue, and I think we all agree, that, that tongues is a, is a known uh, language. And we're not here to take a lot of time to talk about tongues today, but I think it's important when we say that to look at what the yeah. Bible yeah. is saying I, about that. I also would say, too, just while we're on that subject, just like a little little snippet. Um, I think it's just as important to recognize to the whole reason why tongues were there in the first place. Mm-hmm. There was a definite result and it was a definite like sign of something. So it was a sign of the Holy Spirit coming at that day. Right. But also people got saved and there was a clear message that happened. Exactly. And too often we're so caught up in like, oh, you know, signs and wonders and this and that. The the point of miracles and signs that were happening in Acts, if you really read the book, was to point to the gospel and to the person of Christ and sign. people got saved. Yeah, they were yeah. pointing <laughs> to something. And I think that that just needs yeah. to be said there because I think too often we're so focused on like the wonder and miracle of it all. We just want to see it. And that's not the point. Right. The point is Jesus is God and he is who he said he was. Right. Yeah. So in that moment on the day of Pentecost, the spirit giving them the power to speak in tongues and these known languages in their language to speak in their language. So others are hearing in their language was a miraculous work to point to the significance that the spirit of God 
yeah. had come. Yeah. So as we kind of just kind of wrap up thinking about this point on the day of Pentecost, really, what is the significance then of Pentecost for today? Oh, man. That's a good Morgan, what I love do you it. Think? I love it. <laughs> well, I, though the promise of the Holy Spirit coming was fulfilled on the day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit filling didn't end there. Mm, um, and I good. think one of the, you can just see it throughout the rest of the New Testament. I mean, in my own personal study of like First Peter and Romans, it talks about the Holy Spirit who was given to us and God's love poured out into our hearts by the Holy Spirit who was given to us. And mm. it's not, he was just given to the apostles at that time, okay. you know, in the early church, but he's continually given to us when we become followers of Jesus, when you believe and have faith in sure. him. So, no, that's good. Yeah. So that's actually what we're going to kind of continue to mm-hmm. talk yeah. about uh, is is looking at the differences between the filling and the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. And so as we take just a moment here, let's take a moment here and talk about the filling and the indwelling of the Spirit of God, because those are two terms that oftentimes get uh, – you know, like thrown around interchangeable, but they, well, they are sound very, alike. They, sure, too. sure. I think that that's why they get interchanged right. because they do sound similarly. And maybe that's maybe that's our bad in Christianity for not doing a better job of defining our terms, right? Yeah, or just the English language is kind of hard sometimes. DYT. DYT. <laughs> right. So, <laughs> what we're talking about is the indwelling of the Spirit of God, which the Bible refers to as the baptism of the Spirit, and then what is referred to as the filling of the Spirit of God, uh, that the Spirit of God fills us, and you see that in places in Ephesians. And I think, um, I'm not really sure where you all are coming from on this, but uh, as I look at those words, what I'm often reminded of is that there is one baptism of the Spirit, but there are many fillings. Mm -hmm. Would you agree with that? Yeah, Yeah, I'd agree with that. Yeah. I think of it in a sense of like the indwelling is this permanent residency um, in the life of a believer and the filling is more of the control aspect of our lives. And I think that the reason that is, is if you read in Ephesians, you specifically see there that he compares the filling of the spirit to drinking, um, wine or alcohol sure. and being under the, he's not just specifically using that, but what he's saying is you're under the influence of a substance or you're under the influence of the spirit. Sure. Yeah. And I think of it mm-hmm. like that influence, that control factor. So let's, let's talk about each of those separately. And then I think it'll give a fuller understanding as we then think about the significance that Mm-hmm. Uh, of what is happening early in the book of Acts, and then as we kind of bring a correlation into modern day. Um, the first thing I think, as we would think about, is is the indwelling of the Spirit of God, or as the Bible talks about, that we were all baptized into one Spirit. So um, what are some examples, where are some places we would go in the Bible to see the the indwelling of the Spirit of God, kind of that promise? Yeah, I love 2 Corinthians one twenty two. Um, it says in, um, verse 21, I'll give a little reference here and it says, and it is God who establishes us with you in Christ and has anointed us. And so yes, the person of Christ and the father is there, but, and who has also put his seal on us Mm. and given us his spirit in our hearts as a guarantee. Now you might be Mm -hmm. reading, um, a version there where it uses the word earnest, a, um, like a older word there that we don't use much more anymore. Talking about like a financial term. Exactly. It's the idea of, um, putting down down something for a future, uh, promise. And the Holy spirit is the guarantee of of our future complete sanctification when we're glorified and sure. we're made just like Christ That's and good. he's in us. It literally says there he's sealed us 
but he's also given us the spirit in our hearts. The spirit's right. inside of us. It's indwelling. Which is so encouraging he to think about that for a Christian, because what God begins, he always finishes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and we, I, you know, Ephesians is probably the one epistle that you would want to go to. When you're looking at uh, what is the significance of the spirit-filled life, because Paul really there in Ephesians 1 through 3 is unpacking what it means to be in Christ, and we're in Christ uh, through uh, the Holy Spirit. And so when we think about that significance, then he goes into the rest of the book of Ephesians, showing how we walk in the Spirit and live in the Mm -hmm. Spirit. Uh, But in chapter one of the book of Ephesians, um, I'm just going to read a few verses to kind of set the stage. He says in verse 11, uh, Paul talks about in him, uh, he's talking about Christ, we have obtained an inheritance. We have been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. So that we, who were the first to hope in Christ, might be to the praise of his glory. Verse 13, in him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, we believed in Christ. The Bible says in verse 13, we were sealed with the promised, with the promised Holy Spirit, mm-hmm. who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. So what is Paul describing there about the Christian life, specifically the spirit? I mean, the big word there is sealed and guaranteed. And it's this idea that we as Christians, the spirit has put his stamp, his mark on us. And he is also come to take up permanent residence in our Mm -hmm. lives. There should be a difference. Um, There is a difference. And if there's not a difference, (laughs) that's that's suspect. Because if you have the Holy Spirit of God literally taking up residence in your life, indwelling you, there should be a difference. That's why why I love um, 1 Peter chapter 1. It's literally in the second verse. Um, It's talking, uh, Paul's addressing, not Paul. Peter. It's Peter. first Peter. Yes. First <laughs> Paul. All these peace. First uh, Paul. Peter. <laughs> um, yeah. So Peter's addressing all of these, uh, these believers who are dispersed everywhere. And he says to the chosen, according to the foreknowledge of God, through the sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit, to be obedient and to be sprinkled with the blood of Jesus Christ. So this sanctifying work, this set apartness that is done mm-hmm. through the Holy Spirit when he marks us and he stamps us and seals us for all time, just like when Christ died, he died once and for all time to be that redemption for sins. The Holy Spirit indwells us once. Mm -hmm. It's not like he hops in, then he hops out. You know, it's like... (laughs) Which is, which to be fair, that brings up a great point. It does. Because in the Old Testament, were believers indwelt or was there something else going on there? Um, Because I think sometimes if... I think sometimes we just discount that the Holy Spirit never worked in the Old Testament. And that is a very, very, very dangerous and I would even argue unbiblical position to take. Yeah. So where are some passages then in the Old Testament, Stephen, that you would see and point to to show the Spirit of God at work even in the Old Testament? I mean, uh, there's a couple. Um, I would go to a place like um, Ezekiel. Mm-hmm. Um, Ezekiel 11.5. I'm trying to pull it up here because I was over in Ephesians. Uh, Ezekiel <laughs> 11.5. It says, And the Spirit of the Lord fell upon me, and he said to me, Say, thus says the Lord. And so this idea that the Spirit of the Lord is working there, you know? And then I even think of places over in like Judges, um, Judges 6, uh, 34 here talking about in the story 
of uh, Gideon, but the spirit of the Lord clothed Gideon and he sounded the trumpet, mm-hmm. you know? And mm-hmm. so this idea of the spirit is at work. You can even go to places in like Genesis one, the story of creation, the, sp- yeah. the spirit of the Lord's moving upon the waters. Right. And yeah. like yeah, all good. of these different places, the spirit is working in the old Testament, mm-hmm. but something that you see in this passage, I sp- think specifically in judges and Ezekiel is right. this idea of the spirit of the Lord fell the yeah. spirit of the Lord clothed. It does not seem to be a permanent residency as much as a um, filling or a controlling well, an indwelling. factor. You're, yeah. you're yeah. talking about the indwelling It doesn't factor. seem to be an indwelling factor, though. Right, you see though. it more of like an anointing. An anointing. Um, that's I think that's a, a great word. word. That's a great word. You, you because even visually, about, it's like the same. Certainly, because you, I think about in the book of Judges, uh, you know, Samson having this anointing mm-hmm. of the Spirit of God, really the power of the Spirit of God uh, through what he was doing. And you remember that one moment there in, in uh, when his hair uh, was cut and she said, the, the, Samson, the Philistines are upon you and he woke from his sleep. And he, the Bible makes this point. Uh, that he was going to go out and shake himself free couldn't. as he had to, mm-hmm. as he's done before. But he did not know that the Lord had left him. Mm-hmm. And I think yeah. once again, like God physically presently was not right there with him, mm-hmm. but his anointing, his power was upon him. And so you do see that in the Old Testament that the Spirit of God would come upon people, mm-hmm. uh, anoint people, uh, empower people. But what is so different is because of the work of Christ, mm-hmm. uh, Jesus said when he leaves, he would send the promise, the comforter. And so uh, in Romans 8, Romans 8 is just one of those uh, capstone places in the Bible that talks about the power of the indwelling Holy Spirit. And um, And really the blessing that it is. Certainly. What a blessing it is. Um, But, you know, Paul Paul begins in Romans 8 by talking about how God has sent us his son. uh, But then in verse 4, in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. Mm -hmm. Uh, And then he goes on to describe that in verse uh, 9. He says, you, however, are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. If, in fact, the spirit of God dwells in you, anyone who does not have the spirit of Christ does not belong to him. Mm -hmm. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the spirit is alive because of righteousness. Verse 11, Mm -hmm. if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. And so what Paul is, I think, arguing and showing there is that the moment we trust Christ, the spirit of God comes and dwells in us. Mm-hmm. He indwells us. Uh, and he it, it's a permanent thing. It's its that thing that mm-hmm. he's hes a seal. He's a guarantee mm-hmm. of, of the finished work of Christ that is to come in our life. Yeah. Yeah. It's different than anointing. Anointing mm-hmm. in the Old Testament was something that w- had some permanency, but it was not necessarily permanent. Yeah. Indwelling is a permanent. It's a promise that God has right. made and God keeps his promises. Right. Um, I think of um, like Second Timothy when Paul is giving Timothy kind of like the 
um, advice, the fatherly advice as he's kind of entrusting to him like parts of the ministry. And he says in verse 14 of chapter one, that good thing which was committed unto you, the keep by the Holy Ghost which dwelleth in us. Right. It's mm-hmm. all over the New Testament. Yeah, it is. And there's so where an we indwelling make, of the spirit. And so where we often muddy the water is not realizing that there is one baptism, but many fillings, mm-hmm. yeah. right? The Spirit of God comes to indwell in our life the moment we trust Christ uh, for salvation, and that is a promise. It's a guarantee of what God will do, but it's also, uh, we see the Bible talks about to be filled, and that's a repetitive thing. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, To be being kept filled is really the original translation there. If you look at the Greek, how how -hmm. Paul uses that phrase, it's literally this idea of be being kept filled uh, by the Spirit of God. And which brings up an important discussion because in our day today, specifically within the charismatic movement and other places, you you see this understanding of the Spirit of God maybe not clearly uh, defined and uh, articulated as the Bible would describe it because, you know, oftentimes people pray this way, God, give me more of your spirit. Mm-hmm. Well, sorry, he's already you, given you it all. Can you, can, <laughs> it's ridiculous, right? Yeah. I mean, it's like this idea that the spirit of God comes in sections or in doses. Yeah, and, you you gotta get your your B inoculation of the Holy Spirit <laughs> after yeah, the A yeah, shot. Yeah, get your vaccine. <laughs> yeah, uh-huh. let's talk about this for a minute because because does the spirit of God come to us in doses? I mean, John three thirty four, Jesus said, "For he whom God has sent utters the words of God, for he gives the Spirit without measure." Yeah. Then that very clearly says he doesn't give you just half or uh, I just think a there's part. so much confusion because we equate the person of the spirit and the effects of his person and power in our lives. Okay. Oh yeah, um, that's that's good. Like like Galatians five is in the Bible for a reason. But I say walk by the spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Mm-hmm. Well, okay, if I don't want to gratify the desires of the flesh, what I do? Well, I walk in the spirit. I I give him control of my life. That's what the walking idea is literally. I literally depend upon him. And I believe that's what Paul is really aiming at when he's talking about influence and filling in Ephesians 5 is this idea that the Holy Spirit needs to have control of your life. Sure. And he's given you some free will in this matter. Um, He's given you some responsibility in this matter to depend and to walk in his power. But as far as his power and his person, you have access and, to all of yes. it, yeah. but, but you are said the you word following through person. Uh-huh. Yes. He's, he's the third person of the Trinity yes. yeah. and, and meaning that the spirit of God is a person. Uh, he, he does not come in sections or doses. You no. either have him or all? you don't have mm-hmm. him. Yeah. Uh, he's either there in the life of a person or he is not there. Yeah. Um, but just based on the fact like Galatians five, and if you go back to Romans eight, chapter uh, Romans eight, verses 12 through 13. So then brothers and sisters, we are not obligated to the flesh to live according to the flesh, because if you live according to the flesh, you are going to die. But if by the spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. So because Paul wrote that, it means that you can, you know, you're still, you're still, you're the one who's living still, but um, you're not tied to that fleshly living because the spirit lives in you, but you can be more filled on other on some days than others. Which brings up a great question of what is filling? What is the filling of the spirit of God? Oftentimes when we use the word fill today, what are, what are what are the type of fillings that we, I mean, when you hear that word fill, we think about filling what? 
We, I mean, a, a lot of times we think, I think we just practically think yeah. to like filling a container. Yeah. Okay. And so we're Fill like, a glass well, of water. the container's only half full, right. so we got to keep filling right. it up. Or filling a bathtub. Uh-huh. Yeah. Uh, coffee pot. Filling a coffee Which pot. Which is instantly doing us a <laughs> disservice. Filling your car with gas. It's yeah. doing us a disservice because it it's, it. mm-hmm. it's a wrong word picture. It's a wrong word picture of what it means. It just doesn't means. hit it sometimes. No, because that's not the word in Ephesians 5, verse 18. Because in Ephesians 5, uh, and you referenced that, Stephen, earlier, uh, when Paul talks about be filled with the Spirit, the word picture that often comes to our mind is this idea of filling a container, mm-hmm. something that is empty that needs to be filled up. And when we think of it like that, then I think we go astray in thinking that, oh, we don't have all of the Spirit of God in our life, so we need to be filled in the sense that we need more of Him. Mm-hmm. But that is not actually the word that Paul is using. That Greek word there, to be filled, really it's kind of a word that has kind of a three shades mm-hmm. of meaning. And I want to go through each of these and then we can talk about them because I think it helps really shape the discussion of what it means to be filled with the Spirit. The first meaning that is often given for that word to be filled is kind of this idea of pressure. Mm-hmm. I kind of picture a sailboat, you know, mm-hmm. and, and a sailboat as it puts up its uh, sails and the wind provides the pressure. It provides the thrust that enables the ship to sail. That's partly what, what that word is communicating. And then it's also the idea of of not just pressure, but it's something that is permeating something. It's like... Yeah. Um, like it's diffused, like d- a... Yeah, okay. Do y'all like coffee? I'm a, okay. yeah, I don't know yeah. if this has come like out on coffee. the podcast. Uh-huh. I can't I don't drink this it come right now. Out, I come out on the podcast yet, but I am a coffee an connoisseur. Yeah. He's an addict. I love it. <laughs> and uh, I've really been uh, just addicted to French press recently. Oh, yeah. And for those of you who are on the podcast that do not know what a French press is, please go down to your local coffee house and order one, and your life will be so forever changed. But it is this, um, it's this thing where you take coffee grounds, and rather than run them through like a regular coffee pot filter, you put them in a container, like the coffee grounds go into the container. And then you take the hot water and you pour it over your coffee grounds and that coffee and the oils in that coffee, uh, the flavor in that coffee just begins to He's permeate. He's salivating right now. Oh man, it's great. I'm sitting right here with a cup <laughs> of coffee right now. But the whole principle is that that the, what, what you see happening in those French presses is those beans mm-hmm. permeating the water. I also think of, um, I don't know if you guys have ever used like an essential oil diffuser. Yes. Definitely. Yeah. But no. like, my wife has. No, okay. I don't use those let me, let me, actually, say, let like, me take this time right here and make sure that none of our podcast audience is confused. I Stephen has not personally. It has uh, been used in his home. Yes. But you know, I mean, okay, since you have had it in your home, you know when you start a diffuser, it diffuses throughout the entire room. Same point. You walk in, you smell it. It just hits you in the face. And Yeah, but once again, it's in the room. Mm -hmm. The coffee is in the cup. And the whole principle of the Spirit of God in our life is that the Spirit of God is in our life. He, He indwells our life, and because He is in our life, He fills us. So He is, He is, He is the one who is enabling us. He is the one who is 
really permeating every part of our life so that our lives are completely under his control, Mm -hmm. his influence. And then the third one is the one you actually already brought out, Stephen, is the kind of that picture of control uh, that Paul uses there with a a drunk person, right? And Mm -hmm. he's what he's showing is that just like alcohol has the ability to to dominate a person in how they think and, and what they do, the same ought to be true for the believer who's living a spirit-filled life. What do y'all mm-hmm. think about that? Yeah, I think that's a, a really good way of picturing it. And um, control and uh, the permeating of the Holy Spirit, because really, if you are, when you're indwelled by the Holy Spirit and then being filled with Him, it's not just about certain things that you do being led by the Holy Spirit. It's like even the way, you know, it talks about everything being done in love, like everything we do and who we are can be filled with that permeating, you know, filling of the Spirit. Right. Um, so, but even here, sense. I think, like, I want to kind of really drive this home and and have us really understand it in a, in a full way. So, when we think about those words that the spirit enables us, he's the one who permeates, you know, our life, his influence in our life, and that ultimately we should live under his control. I mean, what does that really begin to look like then in the life of a believer when Paul says, so walk in the spirit? I mean, because this does seem a little, um, I don't want to use the word mystical, but it does seem, I mean, a little bit, it seems a little, uh, we, we just, we, I think we have a hard time sometimes understanding uh, what that means and then how do we see that playing out in the life of a Christian yeah well I think it I think it, it comes down to the fact that we either are completely full of the spirit <laughs> or we're not in the sense of his control and influence it's not a half and it's like what we were saying it's either right. he's permeating our lives and we are walking in his power or we aren't that's Galatians 5 mm-hmm. there and that's I think where Galatians, I, yeah. I think yeah, yeah, Galatians yeah. 5 literally is the capstone to what we're talking today verse 25 if we live by the spirit let us also keep in step with the spirit. Mm -hmm. It's this idea that I am literally depending upon him. The idea of walking with the spirit or walking in the spirit is this word picture of dependence and literally walking in and because of his power. Um, Whenever I would illustrate this, I would talk about how back when I had like a with my wisdom teeth out, I had woken up from my anesthesia and I do not do well with anesthesia and I was like super out of it. And when I was led out to the car, this nurse literally like I was moving my feet, but she was the one that was carrying my weight, you know? And she was like a little five foot nurse. And I don't know how she did it. But Steven's not but, five foot. Uh, Steven's like not. six I'm foot. I'm like six something. foot two. Yeah. And, um, but literally when I walked out, she had, she like put my arm around her shoulder and she was like, move your feet. And I moved my feet, but I was walking in step with her. Mm-hmm. That's good and picture. she literally took me out to the car and put me in the car. And I always illustrate that because too often you're right. We do make this so mystical of like, how do I do it? Well, it's dependence and how much are you walking in his power? And Paul, even in Galatians five gives you the fruit of the spirit, not to say go after these things, but to look in your life and see when I'm walking in the spirit's power, these are barometers. It is evident. So if you're walking in the spirit, the fruit of the spirit is at work is evidenced in your life. Mm -hmm. You see love in your life, peace, joy, Mm -hmm. patience, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Yeah. If you don't see those things, you're not walking in the spirit. Exactly. Mm -hmm. Is that clear? Yeah. And then just 
like dependence, I also think of it as like a continual t- surrender to his leading. Sure. Um, because many times, I mean, even Paul talks about it in, in Romans and just like, I, what I want to do, I don't do. And then what I hate mm-hmm. to do, I, I do. Yeah. Um, but Yield. Yeah. Yield. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So it's just that c- constant dependence and surrender. I think mm. dependence and surrender go hand in hand mm-hmm. to being led by the Spirit. Which is so good. And I think you bring up Romans. And I, I want us to kind of end our time here today uh, thinking about this, the significance really of these things uh, in our life. And I think probably the thing that really comes to my mind is when I think about the Spirit of God and His indwelling, His filling in our life. Yes, we should see the fruit of the Spirit in our life when we're walking in Him, but one of the greatest blessings of the Spirit of God in our life is that He intercedes for us. Mm-hmm. And and Paul picks up on that in Romans 8. He says, the Spirit helps in our weakness. Which, uh, time out, love that, love that mm-hmm. verse. I love that word, He helps. And the picture of him as a helper and this person who lifts us up. And that is a verb there, by the way. Um, <laughs> he is literally helping. Sure. Like, how, what a good, cool word picture that is. But he, he, he helps us. And, and we don't know how to pray as we ought, Paul says. Mm-hmm. But the Spirit intercedes for us. And so, you know, as we kind of just wrap up our t- discussion today, thinking about the Holy Spirit, uh, what, are, what are maybe a few takeaways that you um, – are encouraged by maybe a few things that man you, you want to just highlight yeah. here. What yeah, we- I think there's a couple of things for me personally. The, the the first thing is the Holy Spirit of God is a person. Mm-hmm. It's not a personality. It's not a um, mode that God comes in. That is not biblical. That is anti-biblical. The Holy Spirit is a person a true person, the God, the father, God, the son, and God, the Holy spirit. He is evident. And we've even looked at passages uh, earlier where all three were evidenced. Um, He is a person. And because of that, he's not a force. He's not some mystical like star Wars type thing. He is a person. And because he's a person, we get his entire person when he indwells us. Mm -hmm. Like that is so awesome. It's a blessing, which is amazing. I think that's so excellent, Stephen. And mine just kind of plays off of that. Um, And when we're, thinking of the Holy Spirit and his indwelling and his filling in the aspect of prayer, I think that's one way we can take inventory of our prayer life. Mm-hmm. If our prayer life is is dead, and this is something that I've been learning over the last year and convicted of, like how much do I understand uh, the Holy Spirit's role in, in prayer? And I think going back to Romans 8 and reading through um, verses uh, 24 through like 30, it just you just are reminded so much of how involved the Holy Spirit is in interceding for us and helping and searching our hearts when we don't even know how to pray. Mm-hmm. So that would be a huge takeaway that I would give to our listeners. Just go back to the word. And that's so true because w- for me, when I think about the takeaway today is just being reminded that if I don't have a right theology mm-hmm. about the Spirit of God, then I won't see the way I pray about things or believe things or, or walk in the Spirit really lived out in a in a right way if if I if I have a misunderstanding about who he is from the very beginning. And so I think it's important especially for those that are listening with us today to really go back to the Bible and consider yeah. uh what is this tremendous promise that is ours in Christ? And and let us as the church uh, take full advantage of the resources that are ours in Christ through really the power of the indwelling Holy Spirit. Mm-hmm. 
Thank you for listening to Where We Land, Christ, Culture, and the Church. Listen, if there's anything you've heard us talk about on the show today that you would like to know more about, we would love to hear from you. So send us your thoughts, questions, and feedback by sending us an email at podcast at whereweland.org. On our next episode, we're going to be concluding our mini-series here in the Book of Acts by looking at prayer in the early church. So we hope you join us here next time. We'll see you then. We'll see you then.